JG Nandra, welcome to Adults Class 2 Practical Applications of Jainism. Let's start with the Nokar Mantra. Namo Arihantara, Namo Siddhartha, Namo Ayayayam, Namo Uvajayana, Namo Savasalbunam, Esu Fajjus Nokaru, Savu Pao Panasanam, Malalacha Savasim, Paramam Habe Mandalam. Physical pain is a complex experience, and it's thought to be made up of three parts. The three parts are of physical pain are physical sensations, the emotional response to the sensations, and the social effects of the experience. So if we want to be specific, let's call the physical sensations the pain. And then maybe if we talk about all three, we can talk about all three leads to suffering, right? So what are some examples of those three parts? That is the emotional state, um, the, the physical sensations, maybe the intensity of the pain. So the intensity can be higher or lower. The emotional state, you may be saying to yourself, I'm angry that I feel this way. Um, so pain may lead to anger. Why me? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, it, you know, you may be worried about the future. This pain means there's something wrong with me and I have to do this and that to take care of it. Um, you may have expectations about the future. You know, this medicine is not going to work or I can't find the right medicine. Um, that Those are types of emotional response to pain. And the, there's also a social effect of the experience that is how it affects the people around you, whether you have a social support system, things like that. So... Physical pain is a complex experience made up of, we think it's made up of those three parts. So mindfulness and meditation can help with physical pain. That is, it can help you tune into the differences between those three parts and reduce those three parts, uh, even though the source of the pain is constant. The source of the pain may be the same, but mindfulness and meditation may help reduce the pain intensity. It certainly will help you with the emotional aspects of going through physical pain, and it will help you with the social aspects of going through physical pain. So how does it do that? How does mindfulness and meditation uh, help you with physical pain? There are a bunch of reasons. Uh, number one, it can help reduce your perception of the pain. That is, if you focus your attention on the present moment and you observe your sensations without judgment, okay, that's the hard part, without judgment, you can become less reactive to the pain. Uh, second, it can reduce your stress. We know that stress exacerbates pain. So if you live a stressful life and you experience some quantum of pain, you suffer more than if you live an unstressful life and you're subject to the exact same quantum of pain. Uh, so it can, mindfulness and meditation can help reduce your muscle tensions. It can improve your sleep and it can give you a general sense of relaxation. And if you live your life like that, the same pain that you may have been destined to go through will be less. The suffering will be less, even though the pain might be the same. Right. And that is right. And so if you practice mindfulness and meditation 
you'll be able to better concentrate through the pain. You're right that this, remember, pain is signals going from your body to your brain, right? And so you're right that it is a constant source of distraction. If you're trying to meditate and live in the present moment, it's harder when you have a constant source of distraction. But as you get better at it, you'll be better at tuning it out. To me, one question. I don't. You did it two weeks ago, and if, uh, I was not present. What's the difference between meditation and mindfulness? Sure. Mindfulness is how we go through life. So we're going to be mindful. The goal is to be mindful in all moments of our life, whether you're taking out the trash, whether you're talking to your kids, whether you're doing that. Meditation is an exercise that you sit down and do on purpose. You say, I'm going to spend these uh, 15 minutes to do meditation, and I'm going to think about this. You know, you think about a particular thing. There's many things to think about. You can think about being kind and loving. You can think about how transitory life is. You can think about how helpless you are. You can think about the qualities of your soul. It's a purposeful activity that you sit, sit down or stand in one place and do. Mindfulness is a way of living. It's a way of thinking. Hey, come on in. Uh, so that's the difference. Uh, dhyan we normally translate to awareness. So, right, right. So, yes, in that way, it's the same. Uh, another way that mindfulness and meditation can decrease your physical pain is it provides you improved emotional regulation. Just like I mentioned that when you're stressed, your pain is more than when you're not stressed. Welcome to our online friends. We're talking about um, how mindfulness and meditation can improve your physical pain. We talked about the three ways it can reduce your perception of pain, it can reduce your stress, and then it can en enhance your pain tolerance. The fourth way is, can you leave that off? Yeah, yeah, it'll, uh, it'll make the recording all messed up. Yeah, thank you. Do you want to open the door? Do you think that might be better? So it can lead to improved emotional regulation. So just like we talked about, if you're less stressed, you will feel the pain less. If you're quick to anger or if you have a bad emotional stability, your pain will appear to be more. Um, so if you continue to practice mindfulness and meditation, Thank you. Um, so as your emotional regulation gets better, your pain perception gets less. Also, mindfulness and meditation can help with fear, anxiety, and depression, right? And that's a lot of our, the cause of our pain too, our suffering. When we experience a physical pain, we're scared. We get scared about, well, what will the future bring? Is this going to last forever? Am I going to have to change my life because of this? And if you are a good practitioner of mindfulness and meditation, you won't be as scared because you'll know you can get through. Uh, you won't be as anxious and you won't be as depressed about the future because you know that the future is not guaranteed. The future does not exist. There's limited things we can do about the future. You know, the only moment you have is the present moment and you're doing all you can in the present.
you can think that it, it will sooner or later it will go away. Right. You can think that. Right. Um, does anybody know this phrase, uh, we die a thousand deaths before the actual one? That's that fear of the future, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're not emotionally well regulated, if you don't practice mindfulness and meditation, you have that a lot. You have anxiety about the future a lot. So this is one way to reduce the anxiety about the future when you are subject to physical pain, which is going to happen to all of us as we get older. So when I sure. you're going for no, no, but uh, just one question. I don't care I don't about any of this. I care about your question. I don't, I don't know how it uh, it's relevant or not, but. Uh, I spent some time on this, actually, uh, on my mood swings, myself, on my mood swings. And I have read about it a lot. And it also says that a lot of our mind, our moods, we are happy, not happy, and all those things. Definitely meditation and mindfulness is, is definitely helps. But also, what kind of food, uh, they say our gut is directly related with our mind and mind is related with the gut. Right. So what we eat and what we have, uh, like, in our Jainism, what we eat, very simple food and time and this and that, the gut is also related with how I feel at that sure. moment. So that also kind of helps a lot what I'm eating and what time I'm eating and how much amount of food I'm eating and all those things, you know. I mean, that has helped me a lot. Sure, absolutely. I think everybody would agree that um, what you eat determines your kind of level of health and that determines how much suffering you have when you're in physical pain. Hey, how you doing? Sure. The next way is that it can lead to altered uh, processing of the brain. So remember what happens in your brain. Your brain is made of neurons and they fire. And as they fire, they're connected with other neurons and leads to other neurons firing. And so it creates pathways in the brain. And mindfulness and meditation can alter those pathways in the brain by increasing or decreasing the connections between neurons, right? And so when you do that, when you alter pathways to the brain, you can alter pathways, your pain processing pathways as well. It can also lead to enhanced immune function. So that's a little bit, all of these dovetail into one another, but if you have a great immune system, that will also decrease your suffering when you experience physical pain. And mindfulness and meditation improves your immune system. Uh, Mindfulness and meditation can give you an improved quality of life, of course, just like we talked about being healthy and emotionally healthy. If you have a great life, your suffering of pain will be less when you experience physical pain. So we talked about seven ways that mindfulness and med meditation can help ease your physical pain. Any comments or questions about that? Talked about the relaxation, even when we go to the doctor. Many times, whatever they are trying to do the process, they say, relax, relax, relax. So relax is the most important to reduce the pain. Right, right. And remember, this is all very easy to say, right? right. And it's very hard to do. Right. But you have to start practicing. Yeah, and you have to try to put a lot of effort to Right. That's ironic that you need a lot of effort to relax. I need a lot of effort to relax. It's not relaxing to try to relax. Sometimes we are like relaxed. We don't have anything to do, but our mind is not relaxed. 
like yeah. minus like i don't have anything to do but what do i do now <laughs> and then Bored. you know start listening something or start watching something and that's how i try to do it or just go and read the book but yeah it's always like this you when you are away you want something continuously right like that that happens yes. other questions or comments but is that normal because that is exactly what happened to me this week <laughs> yeah it's absolutely normal and so just like we talked about you have plenty of to do to fill your time um you have your personal goal sheet that we all worked on if things are a slow week for you then work more on your personal goals and if they are busy at work then work less on your personal goals that way you're always busy and then where you're always productive but don't be a slave to productivity okay? i was just going to say that everything what we want to do is related to productivity either the money oriented right. or either like how do i increase my knowledge or how do i make this look better or everything we go towards that productive we are like now why to do un- non productive things you know it's and that's of- because of where we are on the path right the path. we're all at the beginning of the path so i'm going to tell you to be productive and live your life being productive if you are further along the path i'm going to tell you to be less productive because that will help you more but if you see right now my kids are doing something here and there i say do something productive so <laughs> i myself keep telling them do productive do productive do but we we tell them that only right what are you playing game why don't you just read the book or do this or do that sure. so we always guide them to do something productive right because they're lazy right <laughs> and they lay around right but when they become adults guess what we're going to say we're going to say relax relax take some time off <laughs> you know you're killing yourself smile relatively even when we are talking something if he gets uninterested in those topics he just closes his hand and eyes just goes into meditation great and it's a you know when we go in the cruise we we are looking at the other things and he is sitting right there for, for some time he will be just looking and then he closes the eyes and, <laughs> and his wife says he is now into his you know dhyan <laughs> that's great that's how we all want to live our life yeah. comment to what uh, bhavesh mentioned earlier so the way i am doing it nowadays i mean not to be fully busy or occupied uh, i'm picking up a hobby like you can do anything for example what i do is uh, i've got this craving for coffee these days and i want to try new coffee uh, shops so even though if i'm at work and i know that i have the lunch break i find out the nearest coffee shop Just just go there, sit there with the laptop, and taste the cup of say cappuccino, whatever you like, right? Just to yeah. uh, have something else other than just work or doing things that you have in your to do list. But this is simply unplanned, meaning I don't have a plan to visit this coffee shop on that day because that's work. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean the the. the coffee shop which i'm going to visit is not planned right it's just that i it's instantaneously i think okay now i have some time i could probably reach there and then continue my work from there right so that is something which you can try in case you do not want to be always occupied or because what i felt there was a lot of people do that it's not just me people are sitting with especially those in it can afford that mm-hmm. meaning they can join meetings from there too right and and i was sitting outside in the sh- yeah. uh, in sunshine and, and enjoying that 
entire uh, atmosphere. So something something to to try out. I would say. Especially I know Bhavesh is in IT. Right, right. He's at yeah. home yeah. most of the days. That's great. Yeah, that's good. Other questions or comments? Thanks to everybody who just joined. We're talking about how meditation and mindfulness can decrease our suffering of, from physical pain. The eighth reason is that it can decrease our repetitive thinking and reactivity. That is, as we've been saying, our response to the pain is a lot of what leads to the suffering rather than just being able to bear the pain. And we also have this thing about repetitive thinking. Have you ever, you know what I've noticed about myself is I have the same thoughts all the time. <laughs> like I think the same things, yeah. the same exact sequence of words all the time. Uh, because I think our brain works like that, right? And so if you get into this habit of negative self-thinking, negative repetitive thinking, it's hard to break out of because you just keep repeating those negative thoughts. Hey, come on in. So, of course, mindfulness and meditation can help us with that. Next, it can increase a sense of acceptance for unpleasant sensations. That is, we always are avoiding discomfort, whether it be mental or physical. And most of our life is geared toward avoiding discomfort. But you will free your mind if you just let it be. If you get a mosquito bite and you just say, great, it's there. I don't care. That's what happens. You'll free your mind from thinking, what do I got to do now? Do I got to spray? Do I have to put some lotion on this? Do I have to do that? And then you wasted half an hour thinking about nothing, right? About a mosquito bite, which you didn't need to think about in the first place. So if you start accepting that your life will be full of discomfort and full of physical pain, then you'll have more time to do better things. So to be related to this, like uh, I have started now new thing is from three weeks, one month. A moment my kid says the problem, I say, what's the solution? I ask them only. Yeah. So when you come with the problem, when you come with the complaint, come with the solution too. It's Then life is very easy. But if you only complain and no solution, right. then actually it's never going to resolve. So, you know, that goes hand in hand. So there you go. You have a complaint and you have a solution too. That's good advice for work too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Even I'm, I'm doing myself too that, oh, something is not working. That's okay. Let's fix it or do something. Let's not drag it or because after five days, we are going to say that same thing if right. we don't fix something in the house too. Right. So it's better just fix it at the same time. Mindfulness and meditation can also improve your emotional flexibility. We talked about being you know, emotionally well-regulated, but you can roll with the punches better. You can accept that this is part of your life and you can move on. That is, you don't dwell on things. And this is an important part because it can stop you from ruminating. This repetition of negative self-talk is called rumination. And it's hard to get out of. And if you've ever been depressed, you know what it's like to just ruminate on negative things. And that becomes the entirety of your experience. It's just this rumination of negative thoughts that swirl around in your brain. And so it can kind of help you get out of that cycle. Uh, mindfulness and meditation can enhance your self-compassion. That is, you can start to forgive yourself because a lot of times we have a complex emotional response to pain where we blame ourselves. No matter how, you know, a lot of times our pain is our fault. And if it's something that's life altering, 
we may blame ourselves for our decreased quality of life. And while that may be true, it's also true that you can forgive yourself. And so mindfulness and meditation will teach you how to forgive yourself for causing the pain you experience in your own life. It'll increase your acceptance of the present moment, which we've talked about, and it'll help you relax. So to me, one question, I know a lot of people do this meditation and mindfulness. Do they also kind of know the benefits or they realize this all this benefit after doing a period? What do you think? So there's so many benefits and it's like, it's like when you uh, embark on any kind of self-improvement path. You hear about things and you hear about these benefits. So you're like, well, let me try it for myself and I need that. So let me try it. And if you start to experience those, just one of the many benefits, then you'll understand that it's true and you'll start believing when other people say about the other benefits and you'll start doing it more and more. Other questions or comments? My comment on that is I've been trying on and off, but um, I'm much more calmer and I give myself that two second pause before, you know, replying or even making a comment if I even need to. Right. So just improve quality of life and you know, don't get into an argument. My wife says, throw the trash. Instead of saying two minutes, okay, pass. okay no problem. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so science has also confirmed that mindfulness and meditation can decrease your suffering when you go through physical pain. And let's talk about a paper written by Fadel Zidane and David Vago. It's called Mindfulness Meditation-Based Pain Relief. And Ms. Fadel Zedan is in the Department of Neurobiology and Anatomy at Wake Forest University. And David Vago is in the Department of Psychiatry at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. And the conclusion of their paper was that mindfulness meditation engages multiple unique brain mechanisms that attenuate the subjective experience of pain. The study subjects routinely stated that the experience of pain was shorter, softer, and accompanied with less dwelling and a greater ability to fully embrace the feeling of pain, but simply let go of the appraisal of what the pain meant to them. So you fully experience the pain. You're going to go through this no matter what but you can tell yourself it doesn't mean anything. It, you, those ruminating thoughts, you can let go. Remember, we've talked about letting go of thoughts often in this class. Mm -hmm. They go on to state, the decoupling between the sensory experience and the meaning or contextualization of what the pain means to the self. That is, you can break that coupling of the pain and the response to the pain, what it means, what I have to do, all these thoughts about the future, you can break that because you know there's only the present moment. And the future is just a present moment that hasn't arrived yet. And you'll know what to do in the future because the only thing to do is to let the present moment unfold. So questions or comments about that? So if we are not able to focus, then first we should start focusing on our breathing and then gradually we'll start to focus in present. I mean, 
So what happens with the breathing is that it's the number one mindfulness exercise because it teaches you that your attention is different from your thoughts because you focus your attention on something else. It doesn't have to be breathing. The reason we do breathing is because we can do it anywhere because we're always breathing. So when you focus your attention on breathing, and if you do it for long enough, you'll start to realize that attention is different from thoughts. And that's when you start to realize you can let the thoughts go without paying attention to them. That's the whole deal with the breathing. It's amazing. I, I do it and I love it. I just like the thought come and it goes away. You, and you don't chase that thought. And you get a lot of thoughts and, you, you know, I, they may help me out. I think last year or year before that, I write down. Because when you sit, even for five minutes, you'll I filled up a whole page of things to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you all know, you all have a brain. You can, in five minutes, your brain can deliver you 5,000 thoughts. Okay. Uh, and so that's what we mean when we say you're enslaved by your thoughts. Okay. If you have to pay attention to each one of them, you don't know that you can let them go. Then you have, you're at a very low level of experiencing life. So one question related to thoughts is like, if we indulge into more activities, then we are going to get more thoughts. Does that mean we should not get into more activities so we do not get more thoughts? Absolutely. Okay. That's why the highest practitioners meditate, do a three hour block of meditation in the morning. And when the gong rings, they have lunch. And then they do a three hour block of meditation in the evening. And when the gong rings, they have dinner and then they work in the ashram. They do one hour of work to help do the upkeep. And then they go to sleep. And the next day they do it all over again. That's why they do that. And is it possible just kind of a lot of people say that you can do more activities, but do not get attached to it and do not think more about it. But you know, that is also one kind of a, uh, like, you know, that it's, it's like, if you don't do activities, you are not going to get a thought, then what's the point? Then do the activities, but do not get attached to it. Do not think too much about it. Keep your mind trained. Like you only think about these things only for five hours. And that after that, you are like, no, I'm not attached to it. Now this is not my work. And does people do that kind of activities too? Like, sure. So what you've described is, again, the advice we to give to somebody not as further along the path. So obviously, I'm not going to advise, give you guys advice to spend six hours of your day meditating, right? You can't do that, yeah. right? But so that's what I would advise you then is okay. to do that. So okay. it's just a difference of advice based on where you are on the path. Is it the same as akarta? Because any activity you do, you feel that, oh, I'm doing this. and that's where, you know, you feel possessive of that activity. And that's where all this trouble starts. So if you think that this activity is taking place through me rather than I am doing it, which is the upper tapa, you know, then that will be more relaxing. Then you will be able to be detached from the activity. Certainly. When you, um, when you, inject that sense of self into the things that you do you take ownership of it and that leads to passion that leads to anger ego deceit and greed so the more we can do our daily life dispassionately the better your life will be
All right, so let's continue. I think we're on number 15, if anybody's keeping count. Um, you can decrease your, okay, so this is a little bit different. Um, they all kind of dovetail into each other, but this is a little bit different. You can decrease your awareness of pain and discomfort, potentially reducing the need for pain medication. So we've talked about um, increasing the awareness of other things, uh, living in the present moment, but you can also decrease the awareness of your pain, okay? Uh, next, it can mindfulness and meditation can improve your sleep, and if you sleep better, you're healthier, you can tolerate pain more. Uh, emotional resilience, we talked about. Increased self-awareness, that is, you know more about how your body and your mind works, and you know what things you can get through, what things you can't get through, and as you become more self-aware, uh, it's easier to tolerate this kind of pain. Improved well-being um, and better communication with your doctors, right? So this is the one totally out of left field. As you become <coughs> excuse me, more self-aware, more in tune with your body, you can articulate your symptoms better. Um, as I get older, more and more I realize that a lot of problems come from miscommunication between ourselves and our doctors. So they have to kind of be like mind readers where they have to have a dictionary. It's like patient is complaining of this but he really is complaining of this, you know? He just can't say that, or he doesn't want to, or he's embarrassed, or he doesn't know what the problem is, right? So it helps you communicate a little bit better with your doctors, which will get you some better help. Uh, questions or comments about any of that? One thing, if I may, I want to relate something about the awareness about the pain. Sure. And uh, I broke my hand when I was 20, mm -hmm. and uh, I was admitted to the hospital and it was the holidays. So it was the doctors, everybody were off, you know. So they scheduled my operation two days after the, what happened. So for two days, the doctor prescribed the novel gene, which is a painkiller. And uh, I was reading it the, when my brother brought it, I was reading all the information in there, and it was saying that this may cause you to lose some of your white blood cells. Okay, so your white blood cell will be reduced by using this medicine. So use only if you cannot bear the pain. Okay, so here I decided I don't want, I don't want to take it. The nurse comes and says, "Doctor has given you." You have to take it. I said, well, doctor has given you, given me, but what I read over here, I, I'm ready to take the pain, not take medicine. And she says, then you will not be able to sleep. I said, that's fine. I will stay awake, you know. And think about, you know, one hour later, I was sleeping sound sleep. The way it was, because it is completely, totally broken, you know. So every time I make any movement, you know, it would pain me. So in the in the in the sleep, I was keeping it over here. But when I woke up in the morning, it was lying like this. And during all of that moment, I must have made quite a few. Nurse comes in, you know, in the morning when I woke up, she says, "You were so sound sleep. No, you did not feel the pain." I said, "No, I didn't feel the pain." That's so great. This, this is what is, you know, which in a very early life that I learned 
that if you are ready to take something, it will, you know, your brain will manage it. Right. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up about the painkillers too, because you reduced your chances of getting addicted to opioids right. by not taking that, right? That's right? And that's a very real chance because um, we always want to, like I mentioned, avoid discomfort. And if we are not able to avoid discomfort, we're more easy to take those painkillers. And if we're, if it's easier for us to take those painkillers, it's easier for us to get addicted to them. So if it looks to me that I, so because I decided I'm not going to take this medicine, it's okay to have the pain. Right. So my brain was ready. And then because I was sleeping, brain said, okay, let him sleep. Right. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Any other examples? Does anybody have any other examples of a time where they went through pain, physical pain? For kids, we do that, right? We try to distract them. Mm -hmm. If something happens, you're like, oh, let's put on some cartoon show or, right. you know, like something that would uh, give them an ice cream just because we are just trying to distract their right. mind right. from it. Um, kind of like one of the points we said, right? Like take out the awareness mm -hmm. uh, from the pain part. Mm -hmm. So should we teach our kids what you've learned here? That is, if we teach our kids mindfulness and meditation, they'll have an easier chance to reduce their suffering when they have physical pains? So uh, let me give you uh, an example. I have done the Isha Yoga uh, meditation in Bhavaspandana. So I went to Tennessee and I attended that for three days. And I met a lot of people and they have kids. And I met like few people who have been doing the meditation and all the Isha Yoga. And they said that kids are like eight and nine years old and they have been doing now for one and two years. <laughs> And the amount of clearly they can, the thoughts and also the school, they are doing so good. So yes, I mean, this all meditation and mindfulness, if we start at like age of 12, 13 also, I mean, it would be beneficial. And I would say that we give them everything. We should give them this too. Right. That will help them a lot in the, in, because right now they don't realize it and they may not even do it properly, mm -hmm. but after three, four years, they would say, this is the best thing which you guys gave me. Right. So, uh, you know, this is what it is. So, yeah. So, I don't know if any of you follow Lily Singh, but she started this uh, shows for kids, specifically for kids. It's for, it's called mindfulness something, right? And that's what, it, it's a show you watch and they teach you, like, teach the kids how to control their anger or which being mindful. Which one uh, sure, Unicorn Island is the, okay. I guess, foundation for the one. But yeah, uh, okay. I'll, I'll send it out. Now, a couple um, episodes so far. I think there is also boredom. Boredom also is kind of pain. Sure. So, yes. if you are mindful and meditation, the moment you know, when you start feeling the boredom, you slip into the meditation and you get rid of the boredom. That's right. That's absolutely right. All right, so typical for this class, we're 40 minutes in and we haven't talked about Jainism at all. How can Jainism help you with your physical pain? That is, first, you're not a body, right? Has anybody fasted before? Nobody fasted here? Yeah, I don't believe it. Okay, <laughs> so you experience physical pain, right? One of the purposes of fasting is to prove to yourself that you're not a body. And if fasting is a good way to practice going through pain, uh, and overcoming it. And once you prove to yourself you're not a body, you're able to deal with pain better. 
Because who cares? This is your what? 250th life, your 250th body, right? <laughs> You're going to get another one soon, right? So whatever you're going through right now is diminished because that's the truth. Um, another thing, another way Jainism can help us is when we reflect on the fact that all things are transient, okay? Uh, including this life, including your pain. Now, your pain is transient and it will go and it will pass no matter how bad it is. <laughs> and once you realize as you get older that everything's going to pass, well, when you get a pain and, you know, you broke your knee and you're 60 years old and you realize that, well, I got to live with this for the rest of my life, it becomes easier. Uh, next, uh, Jainism teaches us, as we mentioned, you don't have to pay attention to every thought that comes into your head. That is, the reason that attention is different from thoughts is why? Anybody remember? Because attention is the expression of your soul through your body. That is, if you did not have a soul, you would not be able to pay attention to your thoughts. The thoughts, remember, are physical processes. Thoughts are originated in the subconscious and delivered to the conscious mind, at which point your attention notices them, and you can choose whether you your attention pays attention to the thought, that is, goes further down the train and uh, thinks of another thought that is reactive to that thought. And so, remember, every time you realize that your attention is different from your thoughts, you're realizing that you're a soul and not a body because your soul, your thoughts are your body and your attention is your soul. Uh, next, uh, remember, we have this concept of Papa Nubandu Papa, Papa Punya, things like that. That is, you don't have to react to pain by thinking about the future and what it will cause. I'm not saying you don't have to go through pain. Obviously, you have to go through pain. But you can reduce your suffering by not reacting to the pain. And next, remember that Jainism teaches us that tolerating physical pain is thup. It's a form of nirjara. Does anybody know what kind of practices we do? Okay, so we do a lot of yoga practices that we put our body in different physical positions to experience pain on purpose because that is a type of thought. And that helps us realize that our soul is not our body. So you mean we get in positions that are hurting us physically? I mean, we get in positions that hurt us? Absolutely. So would going to the gym count for that? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Right? Excuse me. Um, but you have to do it with the right mindset, with the right intention of going for the enduring physical pain to remember that you're not your body. And remember, just because you're not your body doesn't mean Jainism. Some people believe that it means Jainism teaches you to ignore your body. I do not think so. You have to take care of your body, okay? You have to be healthy. Jainism wants you to be healthy because if you're not healthy, you're not going to be able to do as much nirjara and sambar as you can because you're going to be worried about being unhealthy. You're going to be experience the symptoms of unhealthiness, which prevent you from performing nirjara and sambar. Does anybody remember what nirjara and sambar are? 
Right, they're part of that. Part of, yeah. But what are they? So Nijra is shredding your karmas. That's right. And somebody is stopping the bondage. That's right. So if you're worried about, if you're experiencing the symptoms of, let's say, obesity or an unhealthy lifestyle, you're not going to be able to perform the blockage of karma. You're not going to be able to perform tap, which is the burning of karma before they come to fruition. That's where your you know, body is very important. Because so, body facilitates you to do all that somewhere and Otherwise, if you don't have a body, <laughs> how you can kind of work? Regardless what kind of body you have. Right. You know, the body is the one which helps you to get rid of the karma or, and, you know, you can also experience the karma or whatever it is. Right. I believe so. And many people, including many learned Jain monks and nuns, think the opposite. Think that you should ignore your body and it doesn't matter and it, it doesn't matter because um, you're not your body. So it's a, a matter of your intention. When I tell you the body is important, I tell you to you from the perspective of to get you to do more somber and nirdra. That is to have a healthy lifestyle so you can do more somber and nirdra for your soul. When I say the body is important, don't take it to mean that, well, I got to take care of my body for the sake of my body. No, your, your no. body doesn't matter. Not for the sake of Yeah. But as an instrument. Right. As an instrument in the right direction that you want to take care of. Right. Mm -hmm. That's where, you know, when they say 12 bhavna, one of the bhavna says asuchi. Yes. And I always do not agree with whenever the people start saying that it is asuchi means it's very dirty. The body is dirty, it has mass, blood, you know, it has all the things coming out from your nine, you know, holes and something right. like that. So many things. I said that's not what the idea of that asuchi means. Suchi means, the Gujarati suchi means, it's a list of the things. And when Atma what the Atma is, in that list, there is nothing nowhere it is mentioned about blood or hair, you know, uh, bones or even uh, your all the thing that is flowing out of your body is not listed in the property of the Atma. So that's where it is Asuchi. Right. Asuchi means all these things are not part of the Atma. That's what you have to think about. You cannot say that because of this, it is all dirty. <laughs> it's not dirty. If it was dirty, you would not like to live. Right. <laughs> because takes good food and gives the body and whatever is the kachara that is taken out. Right. So that's the you know, body gives you, that facilitates you to keep engaged in your good things. Absolutely. Right. Other questions or comments? How old Jainism is? What's that? How old our Jainism is? Like when 2500, 3000 years? So it is as old as the universe, right? Because first of all, it's the truth. So just because people didn't believe in it doesn't mean that souls didn't exist or karma didn't exist. In fact, we are destined to go into a period where Jainism is forgotten about, right? Because the aras are decreasing, right? 
And so Jainism will be wiped out from the world, but it still exists because it's the truth. So as far as the modern interpretation, if you want a little bit better answer to the question, the latest uh, cycle of Jainism was founded by Mahavir. Yes. And Mahavir existed. Uh, it's in the book. So I'll have you. That'll be your homework for this week. Okay. It'll be there are uh, historical evidence of Mahavir's life. And that happened in a particular time period. And so that's in the book. So it's it's either in the very front or the very back about the historical uh, evidence of Jainism and Mahavir itself. So and that was a particular time. So if that's the answer you're looking for, you're going to have to look in the book. Yes. Since uh, even the those remains from the Mahanjagaro and uh, those uh, remains, they say they were a nude Murti. They were there. They have found it over there. And that's where they are connecting the Jainism to that. Right. That, uh, you know, the Jainism is the one which, you know, it's not only the one, but, you know, the new Murtis and certain things that are related to Jainism. And that's why they think, even in the Mohanjadara time, which is considered by many of the historians as about 6,000 years old. Mm -hmm. So even that time also Jainism, Jain philosophy was there. May not have the Jain name to it. Right. I think Jain name started after Mahavir. Right. Because remember, all he did was tell us the truth, right? So if somebody tells you the truth, that doesn't mean it exists right when they tell it to you. It has always existed. They just told you what the truth is. Why is there so few practitioners of Jainism? Like if you look at all the world religions, there's a very small part of the world who practice James. So is it, was it, was there some like genocide of the people who are Jane or they're just not that many in the first place? I don't know. So that's going to be your homework for this week. You come back and tell us. It's uh, a very good question. I don't know why there are. And actually, And I, Absolutely. I, yeah, I heard two to three podcasts, all of them said that Jainism actually the oldest one and after that Buddhism and all of the religion came. That's why I asked, but even people who did a lot of R&D and research and all, they are saying Jainism is the oldest one and even now. Who are they? Are they Jains? Huh? <laughs> no, they are not even Jains. So who are they? They are like... Uh, Indian based, yeah, Hindu based, or even the some or one of them is Muslim based. He says, yeah, Jainism. So yeah, I did hear Jainism. I did hear about the a lot of Jains were killed, or there was like a genocide, and people yeah. then had to convert. Or... It happened in South India. Yes, in South India it did happen sometime back, few centuries back. That uh, quite a few Jains, Sadhu, as well as Jain. Power. Quite a bunch of them were killed just because they were drinking. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, our nuns do not travel or go outside certain limits or boundaries, right? right? So that's why it's contained within India. Right. If you see, and predominantly on the northern side, we do have uh, Jain temples in the south too. There were Digamba Jains, Tamil Jains, but I, I think. The religion itself doesn't have that in them to 
preach and get more followers. Unlike other religions who would do anything and everything in order to get people into their fold. But Jainism has always been uh, a, a religion where they would not go out and, you know, preach about their or tell good things about it. They will only let the followers just follow. So it's like families who've been Jain have continued to, like all of us, for example. And even within Jain family, uh, my mom was very religious, like to Samaiks, to Pratikaman every day, 30 years, 40 years, nothing, no, no onion, potato. But she never pushed us to do the same. She's like, okay, because Jainism says that you cannot push people and say that. So she used to tell us, but after one time she left, she says, no, now you guys know it. I cannot push I, because I need to focus on myself. So my mom used to tell us that all the time saying that no, it's your call. So I think within our Jainism also, we don't push on yeah. our kids or you have to do it. No onion, no garlic, no potato. Like, you, know, you see that like even Jaini, in Jainism, in, even, in, you know, a lot of people shrink, eat this, whatever it is, it's like their call. We don't push people or we don't judge based on that. So, yeah, that's fine. Other questions or comments? Um, a cousin from India forwarded me a couple of uh, visualizations. There's a gentleman, I forgot his name. Uh, he gives Pravachan in Gujarati. And, you know, he explains our, our flag and why the flag is done, where the Meru Parvat is, Sumanda Swami. And I, I don't know if I discussed that, but there's another video. There's a bunch of videos on YouTube. One of the ones that I recently is the Kal Chakra. And that is where he explains, you know, we are in the uh, fifth ara, uh, going into the sixth ara. And it's a circle. We are on the right side of the semicircle. And then Dukham Dukham. How it's but it's visualization. He has drafted this nice, um, it's a video and it shows and it's amazing. I'll, if you want, I'll put it in the group. Sure. Yeah. That would be great. You know, where the Meru Parvat lies, there are two suns, two moons. Um, why should we pray in a uh, northeast direction? Because that's where the Sumanda Swami is actually right there giving Pravachan. So if you go, it is 85,000 miles straight in the northeast direction. That is where he is presently in. Mm. So it's amazing. Thank you so much for your time this week. I hope that we're able to. Uh, implement this in our lives. Remember, that's the whole point of this class is to take it out of this classroom. And I hope that you're able to decrease the amount of suffering you have due to physical pain. And I hope that this helps you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you.